grace and your mercy. Arms that always welcome us to come back to you. Um, that you know that our flesh is going to be weak. But that's okay because your spirit is strong within us. Your spirit is strong enough within us to help us overcome and to help us come back to you, uh, to our waiting father who has arms open ready to receive his children. Arms open on the cross, arms open for us to return. And Father, we thank you that out of everything in this world that we can't have confidence in, the one thing is you. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Hey, guys, it's... Uh... It's always good to be back with church family after uh, even a good week, but especially a rough one. And so it's good to be together. Um, my name's Joe Davis. For those of you that don't know who I am, uh, I thought it was funny, but nobody laughed. It was a total bomb. He thought that was a joke, and nobody thought it was a joke. So there we go. Well, let's close in prayer. All right, let's go. <laughs> Uh, we're continuing with our series in 1 John, So Our Joy is Complete, and um, the title of this message is called Grace Experts. So I'm going to put a definition up there for you. Seed, which means to yield, to give up, surrender, or resign. So Christianity, as we know it, is in constant tension with the world around us, with moral standards even the very concept of what truth itself is. And the conflict seems to center around whether spiritual and moral truths are absolute or relative to opinion that's shaped by culture. And today's voices for this moral and spiritual relativism are voluminous. They're loud, they're informidable, they're intimidating. And we face as the church constant pressure to seed ground on the absolutes of Christ. Just for a little bit of understanding, these ideas of Gnostic views, Gnosticism, is nothing new. It's prevalent in our society today. We are influenced often as a church or churches by intimidation. Or sometimes we're influenced by the illusion that we can somehow, if we compromise and cede certain planes and give certain compromises, we can bring about the illusion of peace and unity. And sometimes we even cede the topic of discourse. But these forces of moral relativism all have one thing in common. They see compromise of absolutes they reject even absolutes they detest as the only real solution. It never goes the other way, if you understand what I'm saying. It's always important for people who have absolutes to compromise if you want unity. Moral relativism always demands that absolutes yield to the superior position of philosophical inclusion. We are told... Sometimes stealthily, sometimes overtly, we are told that it is necessary for us as Christians to cloak what we believe in. Often we don't even realize it's happening as we cloak it. Ultimately, what begins to take place is the church is no longer talking about what it knows best, which is grace through Christ. 
And in the process, we see both truth and our responsibility. So with that in mind, I want to read the passage today. We're finishing up chapter 2 of 1 John. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. More on that later. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So at Grace Life, we like to look at each passage in three ways. The first one is the history, history of the passage. What about man? and What did he do and why did he do it? What's going on at the culture at the time? I've titled this section a reminder. So we've talked about this a little bit, but I'm going to give you some more specific details. The church at this time that he was writing to, Ephesus and all those churches surrounding in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, <clears throat> the Gnostics there were advocating for what they believed was spiritual truth, and they were doing it with arrogant power. They would belittle, they would mock, and they would scorn anyone who tried to embrace the simplicity of Jesus and the gospel and say, no, 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 it's a higher plane of knowledge and understanding. This left the, both the members of these churches and, quite frankly, unfortunately, their leaders wounded, discouraged, intimidated. And many times, it often would cause them to be distracted into other foolish arguments that have no winner. They would get sucked into these debates that are meaningless in the scheme of eternity. Not just in church circles, but especially in the town square, in the marketplace, in the political structures, they had all been maligned in these areas. And these churches had been distracted from the message that they knew best. They were either intimidated into silence or baited into pointless debates that have no end in sight. This relentless, sometimes stealthy onslaught is the same one that we deal with today. It's the same thing that John's readers faced. The philosophical, spiritual, political narratives had turned toxic for anyone that embraced the simple gospel. Outside forces, they had allowed them, these outside forces, to gain control of all those narratives, both inside and outside of the church. The church was no longer talking about grace. It was talking about philosophy and politics and moral relativism. I could imagine for them that declaring yourself a simple gospel Christian was a very big social risk. Difficult, something you probably wanted to hide. It was too exhausting to identify with the cross. Well, what John does is he gives them a powerful reminder. <clears throat> See, John had to deal with this problem because he knew the church had ceded. Listen, the church had ceded its place of authority. Its position of expertise. He understood they had lost their confidence. They had also allowed the narrative to shift away from Jesus and the cross and grace. 
He reminds them their spiritual understanding of truth is far greater than the brilliant minds of the Gnostics. He explains that the mysticism that the Gnostics embraced was inferior because it was born of human understanding. But what they had was born of the spirit of God that abided within them. He reminds him that the understanding of grace is the result of the spirit, not men. Not only is John telling them that they have it right. Remember last week, you've got it right. Preaching to the choir, we talked about that. Not only does he tell them, listen, you've got it right. He says, I want you to take it a step further. I want you to take the narrative back. And recognize that the world around you desperately needs you to be what you are, experts on grace. You don't need anybody to teach you. You have what they need. They don't have what you need. John is saying your community needs you to be experts on grace in a desperate way. Be yourselves. Serve with confidence. You have it in you because what is in you is Christ. So let's talk about the spiritual part of the passage today. What about God? What does he do and why and how does he do it? I've called this anointed with authority. See, I'm going to tell you why believers, truly people who have been saved by Christ, are actually experts on grace. I'm going to explain to you the order and the process where he takes us from sinful to full of grace and experts on a message that the world is dying literally to hear. I'm going to give you a couple Greek word studies. The first thing I want to talk about is being chosen with authority. Here's the Greek word. It's chrisma. It means anointing. And just to understand, it was the inaugural ceremony for the divine selection of priests. It is a very formal, religious, temple-style word. And I'll explain why that's important in a minute. But specifically, would you look at that word, what does the first part of that word look like? Christ. It means Christ. Christ means the anointed one. So this word chrisma, we get the, that's the verb, you are anointed, but its root is a noun, which means Christ, anointed one. And so what John says is you are chrisma. You are anointed. And it's a verb, but it's a, a very spiritual, religious type of word. And it's not a mistake that he uses this religious Jewish sounding word to talk about their spiritual credibility, their expertise. Because the fact of the matter is most of these Gnostics happen to be Jewish. So John gives them an image that they and the Gnostics would understand. You are anointed priests. You understand the significance of what John is saying here? I'm telling you that you are the ones now that hold the truth that people need. It no longer runs through the temple. It runs through the church. John goes right to the heart and begins to explain a key theology of what we call the priesthood of the believers. And so that's the first thing, chosen with authority. The next thing I want to talk about, John says we are held in power. It's the Greek word for abide. It's meno. It means to be held or kept continually. So our anointing, our choosing, is held continually 
by the power of this Holy Spirit. Think about the ramifications of that. Those anointed, chrisma, anointed by God, will never not only leave. Remember we talked about that a few weeks ago. I'll never leave. Not only will they never leave, but they'll always remain anointed. You don't go in and out of anointship. That's not a real word. I made it up just on the spot. That's how good I am. You don't go in and out of anointship. You are always anointed once God saves you. And you abide in that state. We constantly abide, meno, abide within the presence and the power of the gospel of Jesus. We are constantly, this is the part I love, we are constantly equipped to grasp and hold the knowledge of what grace is and where it comes from, even in our darkest moments. We are tethered to this anointing, this choosing, not through our religious prowess or our philosophical genius, but by the Spirit of Christ. Yes, it is true that on the one hand, we are nothing without Him, desperately deficient, but on the other hand, we abide through and with the power of Christ and we are everything with him. Experts on grace to a level that no one can imagine. Which brings me to my third point about how we are anointed with authority. It's this idea of being equipped with truth. The Greek word he uses three or four times and I outlined them and underlined them is teach. Didasko is the Greek word. It means, listen to this, it means to hold discourse with others in order to instruct or guide them. The problem is, and I'll, I'll get to this a little bit later, the problem is many times we as Christians hold discourse with others not to instruct them, but to convince them. And many times it's not about grace. <laughs> Our anointing, though, means that we have no need that anyone should teach us. That sounds arrogant. It's not supposed to be. What John is saying is, you have heard it straight from God himself. It means that you do not need to search for spiritual, philosophical truth generated by the minds of men, no matter how brilliant they think they are. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate source of truth, not the teachers who explain his word, or the believers who affirm it. I am not the ultimate source of truth. We together are, through Christ and the Holy Spirit, experts on grace because of what God is doing in our lives individually. It means when it comes to spiritual truth, the church is the chosen and equipped authority. Now listen, it doesn't mean that the church is supposed to blindly ignore outside opinions or wisdom, okay? I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is we can filter all of those through what the Spirit of Christ has taught us, the one that we abide in, that abides in us, the one that anointed us and chose us, gives us what we're supposed to teach, and we can filter everything through that. Yes, there are times that we will be able to compromise for the sake of grace, but never the gospel of grace. We are the experts on that. To bring it all home, this is the way I would summarize it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. 
Here's what Peter says. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen, anointed, and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices. There's the service, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we are, in that respect, people who are armed with chosen authority. So let's talk about the personal side. I want to talk about being humble experts. It's kind of like, you know, when you hear the word expert, like if somebody says, well, you're an expert in that, I don't think, gosh, that's so humbling. Thank you so much for calling me an expert. I'm very humble that you think. I might say that I'm humble, but inside, darn right, I'm an expert. You know, you better listen. Here's what I put in my uh, social media uh, campaign this week. Uh, the church can either be an advocate for grace or an advocate for opinion. Pick one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meddle just a little bit today, okay? Pardon me. See, when you're an advocate for grace, that's humility. When you advocate for an opinion, that's arrogance. Right? Opinion is, this is what I think is right. Grace is, this is what God says is right. We are anointed and chosen, church, not just to receive grace and redemption, but we are to proclaim grace and redemption with a humble confidence that comes from this anointing. We must not be distracted from that job. So I want to give you some concepts today based upon our passage that will keep you to task. First of all, I want to talk about stories of transformation. Remember, true believers will always have evidence of transformation. They will be transformed. You know why? Because our advocate forces it. Remember we talked about two-way advocacy for those of you that were here a few weeks ago? Yes, Jesus is advocating to God for our righteousness, but at the same time, he's advocating to us to be righteous, to be transformed, to serve, to love, to care for those whom he has called and those whom he is calling. And so we cannot be passive believers that are just a receiving grace. When we are receiving grace, we are also being grace. And it's important to recognize that. Because the best way to stay motivated, in my opinion, the best way to stay encouraged, the best way to stay empowered about your expertise on grace is remembering what you were before grace. Right? I mean, wow, I know grace is good because I know what I am without it. Our humble expertise is empowered by the Spirit of God that is transforming us, that teaches us, that abides in us, that does not allow us to be passive church people that do nothing but suck up the resources of the church. We want to contribute. We want to give. We want to expand. We want to be proclaimers of this grace. Our own stories of transformation validate the truth of the gospel. Our own stories that we have experienced are undeniable. I don't care how brilliant the person you are talking to is. No arrogant intellectual debate, philosophy, or attack can, can discredit the reality of how God has transformed you. Frankly, how God has transformed some of your brothers and sisters that you stand in awe of as they are changed. Transferred from glory to glory, the scripture says. 
We should continually, church, this is important, we need to continually remind ourselves of what God has done in our hearts and lives. We should constantly, with each other, in small groups, in Bible studies, in one-on-one fellowship, we should constantly be sharing with each other these stories that nobody can deny because they're ours. The world has nothing that can offer that is even close to that. So those are the first things to keep us on task, the stories of transformation. They are proof that we abide, that we are held continually. The next one is loving advocates. So humble experts, which is what we're supposed to be, experts in grace, we cannot be distracted, this is important, by pointless debates about politics, false spirituality, and man-made philosophies. We cannot be experts that attempt to intimidate, belittle, or insult those who disagree with us like what was going on in Ephesus. What happens in the church is we try to become experts on culture wars, political wars. We even fight with ourselves on some of these things. And when we do that, we have seeded the narrative. We have gone from what we are an expert in and wading into something that is pure opinion. Sadly, this is what social media was filled with this week. It was deplorable on both sides. I was discouraged. And tempted as I was to maybe wade in from time to time, I felt liberated. You know why? Because as I was writing a sermon about how I need to focus on grace, that's where I'm an expert. Why? Because I was a sinner. (laughs) Guys, that's what John's church has faced. But humble experts in grace, we learn to stay away from that toxic sewage that forces us to seed what we're good at. That forces us to seed the narrative. That forces us to compromise our commitment to the gospel of Christ. We avoid that. Church, the world needs us to be humble, confident advocates of grace. A hundred years from now, those are the only narratives that will matter. When everybody we know on the earth right now is gone, the only conversations and narratives that would have mattered are those that experts of grace took to those who needed redemption. Amen? That's all that matters. The rest of it is pointless. The times that we want a political debate or a worldly temporal debate, those times we advocated for a philosophy that was outside of the gospel, none of those will have the impact that we can have if we remain grace experts. Which brings me to my last thought on this, which is the divine calling. So let's be honest, guys. Transformation is what the world really wants, even if they don't know it. They're searching for some way to be better, to be different, and they don't even realize it. They want to be experts, but they're not. On grace, I mean. Because it is heavenly wisdom that says man needs transformation that supersedes anything the world can offer. The world needs humble experts to be active, courageous, loving, humble, 
caring advocates of transformative grace through words and service and sacrifice. We are anointed experts with a message that actually transforms. Why would we waste time on any other? We are grace experts. And we cannot be intimidated or distracted from what we as a church are designed and equipped to do best. It's not politics. It's not culture wars. It's the gospel. That's what we're good at. Why would we waste time and money doing other things? So I'm always looking for a pithy way to end a sermon, right? And every time I'll type something up, no, that's not good enough. And I'll type something up, no, it's got to be really something that grabs them. You know, I got I got I got a reputation to keep up. I'm an expert. <laughs> the last ten weeks, you know what I keep coming back to? Scripture. <laughs> How boring is that, right? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What has he chosen us for? He didn't choose us for our politics. He didn't choose us for our talents. He didn't choose us for our intellect. He chose us so that we could proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into light. He has made us grace experts. There is no reason for us to be distracted by any other narrative. Let's stick with what the church does best. John says, you have no need for others to teach you about these things regarding grace. You need to teach them. We don't do it in arrogance. We do it in humble love and service. Heavenly Dad, I'm so thankful that you took sinners and turned us into experts. Not because we're brilliant or talented, but because you have saved us with your spirit and that spirit abides in us. That spirit keeps us. It inspires us. It equips us. So, Dad, I just ask that as a church, please, Father, please, don't let us seed the narrative anymore to topics that don't mean a thing in the light of eternity. Help us to become committed grace experts.